Good morning, everyone. My name's Tim. I'm the senior minister here at St. John's, and I'm going to look at this passage uh, with you this morning, if you would like to keep it open. It's too late for me. Sometimes those words have been spoken to me in the past, and what people have meant by that is that they feel like they're too far away from God, that they've done too many wrong things, and that there's no coming back for them. That God would never want them, that God would never accept them. It's too late for me. Uh, Maybe for you, that's your thinking as you sit in church here today. Uh, You've heard that God is a forgiving God, but you feel like you've messed up too much in your life. Maybe you're someone who has been a follower of Jesus, but you've made some big mistakes and you wonder whether God would ever forgive you for it. It's too late for me. Or maybe today you're mourning the decisions of loved ones that you know, some big blunder that they've made in their lives, the persistent indifference to God that they seem to display and their unwillingness to acknowledge him in their lives. Maybe a path that they've set themselves on where it seems that they're determined to pursue it and it's hard for you to see a way back for them. Is it too late for them? One Friday morning, three crosses were placed on a hillside outside Jerusalem. Locals called this place the skull, probably because the shape of the hill, the rocky structure, looked a little bit like a human skull. But it was a fitting name because this was a place of death. This was a place where they put criminals to death. Crucifixion is one of the most brutal methods of execution ever invented. Originally invented by barbarians on the edge of the known world, it was adopted by the Romans for punishing the worst type of criminals. Murderers, terrorists, armed robbers, people who dared to stand up to and to defy the power of the Roman Empire. It was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified, except in extreme cases of treason. It was simply too brutal, too uncivilised to be used on a Roman. It was reserved for slaves and for foreigners. And it was a very public means of execution. It was intended to be a powerful deterrent to the public. This is what happens to people who do these things. This is what happens to criminals. Criminal, criminal, criminal. Three crosses side by side. And for people looking on, they would have known that these are bad men hanging on these crosses. These are violent men. These are dangerous men. These are people who have defied and who have challenged Roman rule. And this is what happens to you if you do it. The crosses are black in order to convey this reality. But wait, something's not right here. This man in the middle is not like that. He doesn't fit this description. Hanging in the centre is Jesus. He's not violent. He's not dangerous. He's a man who's preached peace and reconciliation. He's a man who's told people that Even your enemies are to be loved by you, and when people persecute you 
rather than retaliating, you should pray for them. And as he hangs on this cross and he's being mocked and he's being ridiculed, he doesn't rage and spit and curse. He doesn't scream defiance at the Roman Empire and challenge their rule. As he hangs on the cross, he prays, praying for the forgiveness of the very people who are putting him to death on the cross. Something's not right here. And in fact, as you read through the account in Luke's Gospel that Steph read to us, if you read a bit earlier through Jesus' trial and execution, it emphasises the fact that this man is innocent. What we have here is a righteous man who is being put to death. Righteous means in the right, in right relationship, right with God, fully loving God with his whole being, right with other people, loving people, caring for people, forgiving people, restoring relationships with people. Even Pilate, the Roman ruler who sentences Jesus to death, is convinced that Jesus is innocent. On no less than four occasions in Luke's account of Jesus' trial, he says there is no basis for the charge against this man. He's committed no crime. He's innocent. And the the Jewish ruler, King Herod, who tries him as well, comes to the same conclusion. No, we can't leave the picture looking like this. We need to change it. What we have here is an innocent man being put to death side by side with two criminals. Indeed, the Bible makes clear that not only is Jesus innocent of this crime that they're trying to pin on him, inciting the people to rebel against Roman rule, he is perfectly innocent. He never did anything wrong. In another part of the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, speaking of Jesus and reflecting on his life, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Here is a perfectly innocent man being put to death with two criminals. Here is the only innocent person who has ever lived the only completely righteous person who has ever lived being put to death with criminals. What is going on here? This is a rescue mission. Jesus has said that his entire purpose is to seek and to save the lost. Lost people means people who don't know God, people who've rejected and ignored God and lived life independently of him, while all the while taking the good things offered by God for themselves. Lost people means people who hurt other people, either on purpose or inadvertently. People who lie, cheat, steal, gossip, manipulate. People who harm and kill. Lost people, people who are not innocent, people who are not like Jesus. Jesus says, these are the people that I came to seek out and to save. And as we watch, we're about to see this rescue mission playing out in action. And if you think that it's too late for you, hold your breath and watch. As this innocent man hangs dying between two criminals, we hear the conversations that take place between the different people here. 
One criminal decides that he's going to join in the fun as people are mocking Jesus, cursing him, calling him names. He decides to join in as well. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the great king who's been sent into the world by God. And so great is his anger and his spite that even as he's hanging here, bloodied and dying, he joins in the bullying and makes fun of Jesus, mocking the man next to him. But the other man responds differently. He rebukes the man on the other side and stands up for Jesus. Don't you fear God, he says. We know what we've done. We're getting the punishment that we deserve, but he's getting the same punishment than us, and he's different to us. He's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. Here again is another declaration of the innocence of Jesus, this time from the criminal hanging next to him who recognises that although he's getting what he deserves for what he's done, murder, robbery, rebellion, he's been tried, he's been found guilty, and that is just, this man next to him is not the same. He's getting punished for something that he didn't do. Who knows how he came to that understanding? Who knows what's been ticking through his head? Who knows what he's seen or he's heard of Jesus in the past? We don't know. But he recognises that there is a difference between this man and himself. And if that's all that he did, then it wouldn't help him much. It would be too late for him. In his dying hours, he knows that he's done the wrong thing. He knows that this guy hanging next to him is innocent, but so what? He's beyond any help now. He's lost. But in these final moments when surely, surely it is too late for him, he reaches out and he asks for help. He asks the man standing, uh, hanging next to him to help him. He turns to him and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The kingship of Jesus has been bandied round as a big joke. Everyone thinks it's a great laugh to, to mock King Jesus as he hangs dying on the cross, but not this man. In his earnestness and seriousness, he asks for a favour from the king as he hangs dying next to him. He says to him, remember me, remember me. When you come as king, Jesus, remember me. It's a bizarre request, isn't it? What sort of kingdom can this man possibly have as he hangs dying on a cross? What is this man hoping for from Jesus? And yet it seems that he believes in this moment that Jesus is not done yet. There is still power in him to escape the clutches of death and to establish a kingdom. What basis this man has for asking this? For thinking this, for having this hope, we don't know. Maybe he's just clutching at straws, maybe he's just desperate, but he asks. He asks Jesus to help him before it's too late, and Jesus says, Yes. Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. That word paradise is only used on three occasions 
in the New Testament. But it refers to a place where God lives, what we would call heaven. It's a place of peace, a place of blessing, a place living in the very presence of God. And it was understood to be a place reserved for the righteous and the innocent. And Jesus says to this man who looks to him for help, today you'll be there with me. This murderous, rebellious thug, this desperate dying man who only in the throes of death asked for help, this guy who's left things to the last minute, who can't do anything to help anybody, who can't redeem his mistakes, who can't make up for his sins, who can't fix all the problems that he's caused? Yes, him. Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And while there is still breath in his body, it is not too late. He asked Jesus the king to help him, and help him he does. Today you will be with me in paradise. And here's why it's not too late. Because in that moment, as he looks to Jesus and he calls on Jesus, Jesus, this innocent man, is carrying out his rescue mission to seek and save the lost and he's doing it by taking on himself the sins of other people. This man might be a murderer, he might be a thief, He might be a rebel, but that's exactly the sort of sin that Jesus came to forgive and to deal with. And he takes the wrong things that this man has done and he takes them upon himself. So that he receives forgiveness, cleansing, And he's able to be in paradise, living in the very presence of God. Elsewhere in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it sums up this beautiful exchange like this. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Of God. The reason that it's not too late for this man is that God knows that we've all done wrong and that we can't undo that wrong ourselves. That is why Jesus came into the world to save people, to take their sin, to take our sin upon himself so that we would be declared righteous, innocent, because he has dealt with our sin in our place. That was the only hope for that man then, and that is the only hope for us now. If you think that it's too late for you, it isn't. Turn to Jesus and ask for his help. Ask him for the forgiveness for whatever you have done. It is freely offered. Whatever you've done can be fully covered. That was the purpose of Jesus coming into the world, to die on the cross. It is not too late. Why wait any longer? And if you're tempted to think that maybe you don't need help, maybe you don't need Jesus, can I challenge you this Good Friday to think again? You may not be a murderer like these men. 
You might be considered a good and respectable person, but all of us need the forgiveness offered by Jesus. There has only ever been one perfect, one fully righteous person, and that is Jesus. And his death on the cross wasn't just to cover the big sins, like murder. His death on the cross was to cover the heart of sin, the core of sin, the real problem. Our rejection of God as our ruler and our failure to love him fully and obey him completely. That rejection of God which spills over in your life and my life in selfishness, in pride, lies, lust and numerous other ways. And we can pretend that we're doing okay. We can look at other people who are worse than us. We're not a murderer. We're not a criminal. We're not a rebel or a terrorist. But if we do that, we're looking in the wrong place. The only real point of comparison is to compare ourselves with Jesus, the fully innocent, perfect and righteous person and the only fully innocent, perfect and righteous person ever to live. And when we look at him and we compare our lives with him, we see that we fall short, that we don't cut it. But when we look at him, we also see that he offers us the help that we need, the forgiveness that we yearn for. Look to him. See the sort of life that God expects of us and see that, frankly, we don't come anywhere near it. But see where forgiveness is freely offered to you today and call on him to help you. That's the only hope for the world. It's not too late for any of us. It's not too late for the people we love. Everyone can ask for Jesus' help and forgiveness and he will give it guaranteed. The sins of the world were laid on Jesus' shoulders on that Friday so that sins would be forgiven, so that lost people would be found, so that even those who've left it to the last minute can be saved from the clutches of death. That's good news this Good Friday. But of course, it's not the end. The story doesn't end with an innocent man dying with the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. The story doesn't end with righteous Jesus destroyed by the destructive power of sin and of death. The story doesn't end with a man who's able to save others but unable to save himself. Remember again the words that Jesus spoke to the criminal hanging next to him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. This innocent man is declared righteous by God. The power of sin is destroyed and the destruction that is death will be swallowed up by life. Jesus too will be welcomed into paradise, into the very presence of God. He is the king, the great king that God sent into the world. He does win the victory and he establishes a kingdom that will never end and is the source of life, forgiveness, wholeness, restoration and hope. Amen.